You may be seated. And when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the Epistle of James. We are working through the Epistle of James, and now we've come to the last section of chapter 3. So I've crossed the middle of this book now. What we're going to do, what I'd like to do, is read the entire chapter, James chapter 3. That'll hopefully refresh your uh, mind from the sermon you uh, heard last week, and it also set up the immediate context of the verse we're going to meditate on, or the verses we'll be meditating on today. What we're going to think about today is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. But again, <clears throat> we will begin at verse 1. This is God's holy and inspired word. Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we have found in 
some ways the book of James to be a great blessing and in other ways we have found it to be very challenging. Lord, you touch upon our hearts as we look into the mirror of your word. And Lord, we see those places where we need to be shaped and molded by your word that we would be more in the image of the Lord Jesus. So Lord, we do pray as we think upon your word today that there would be more that happens than just meditation. We pray that you would search our hearts and you would search our minds. We pray that you would take this word and apply it to our unique situations. Lord, speak to us, help us, encourage us. Rebuke us if needed. Lord, we need to hear from you. We'd confess that before you, and we'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Do you ever get those annoying emails from uh, con men trying to get your password or your credit card information? If you've got an email address, I'm sure you get them. Some of you might get uh, quite a lot. Well, just this week, I received an email and they informed me that my subscription had been renewed. And um, so, so I, uh, I clicked on that email thinking, uh, what subscription is this? Because I, I have had that happen to me in, in the past where I forgot to um, deselect automatic renewal, right? And the email said, your yearly product subscription to Norton 360 Protections has been renewed and updated successfully. Your account will reflect the charges within the next 24 or 48 hours. And I'm thinking, I've never owned Norton uh, 360 Protection. I don't even know what it is. Ironically, I think it's um, protection (laughs) against uh, hacking, Uh, So that's interesting. Uh, I've never owned it. And this is, I look, it's $299. And at the bottom of the email, it says, if if you don't wish to renew your subscription and would like to claim a refund, feel free to call our refund and settlement department. Uh, These scammers know, of course, that I didn't order this. They want me to call the number, and if I call, what are they going to do? They're going to answer the phone with uh, the company name, and they're going to say, oh, we'll get you the refund, Um, but we need you to verify a few things for us. What's your name? What's your address? What's your credit card number so we can uh, credit your account? We're going to need the expiration date, of course. Um, (laughs) I mean, you've got to be careful. You've got to be, you, you need the ability to identify scam emails from genuine emails, or you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. And similarly, James wants you to be able to identify the difference between earthly wisdom and wisdom from above. Or again, you might find yourself in a lot of trouble. You can see that in verses 15 and 16, this this talk and contrast of wisdom that's from above and wisdom that's from below. The kind of wisdom you should seek is from above, and it produces purity and peacefulness. So as we look at this passage, we're going to ask, what are the characteristics of spirit-filled wisdom? What James calls wisdom from above. And we're going to begin answering this question this morning with our first heading, which is, Wisdom from above is good and meek. Wisdom from above is good and meek. 
As we begin, I'd, I'd like to talk about the immediate context of the passage a little more, um, a little more than just reading chapter uh, three, because I think it'll serve as sort of a, a framework to help us to try to understand what James is trying to communicate, and it will also help us as we consider how this passage might be applied to our own lives as well. In chapter 2, James says to hold the faith without partiality. Do you remember that? He says that you can be deceived by your eyes and make certain judgments about people based on things like the clothing they wear or perhaps how much money they have. For instance, you would probably have a very, very different impression about Job If the first time you meet him, he's sitting on his ash heap, scraping his wounds with pottery, you'd have a very different impression than if you saw him either before that trial or after that trial, where he was a very, very great man, though he hadn't changed. We need to be careful about the judgments we make. James says that living faith produces fruit. It produces works. He says it's compassionate. It's consistent. It's cooperative. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, James says, not many of you should be teachers. He said that the tongue is powerful. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. It might be small, but it can control the direction of something much larger than itself. The same is true with pastors and teachers. One man's tongue can affect the course of the entire congregation. How can the church begin to discern who is called to lead and teach in the church? The same is true with our personal lives. What you do and say as the head of your household affects your entire family. The same is true for singles. The tongue has the power to direct and it has the power to destroy. You see, that's why we need wisdom. Wisdom from above. In verse 13, James asks, who is wise and understanding among you? You see, there's a difference between wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding are related, but they're different. Wisdom is the place where theory and practice intersect. Wisdom takes understanding and knows how to apply it. Wisdom knows how to react as life unfolds. Are you in need of wisdom? And how do you gain wisdom from above? How does wisdom from God come to us? The Bible speaks of four ways to gain wisdom. Scripture says that reverence at, or respect what it calls the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. Again and again, God's word says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as you begin to comprehend who God is, you get a better perspective on yourself. And that should lead to humility, respect, and awe. It should lead to wisdom. 
But scripture says that unbelievers are confronted with the God of the Bible and they suppress the truth. They bury it. They, they hide it. They don't want to think about it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that unbelievers can't understand certain spiritual things because they can only be understood by someone who has been converted by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and they're born again, he breathes life into them and they begin to gain wisdom from above as the Spirit renews their hearts and their minds. And with your heart and mind illuminated by the Spirit, the Scripture comes alive and you begin to be shaped and molded by the Word. In Psalm 119, the psalmist repeatedly affirms that wisdom comes from God's word. He says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If the tongue of man is powerful, how much more is the Lord's? The last path to gain wisdom is prayer James has already mentioned this in chapter 1, verse 5. James said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Are you in need of wisdom? If so, ask the Lord who gives generously. James reminds us, ask in faith. God gives generously to those who ask. The recipe for gaining wisdom is the reverence or fear of the Lord, conversion, the scripture, and prayer. And as you grow in wisdom and understanding, it becomes noticeable. You, You can experience this wisdom. Sometimes, you know, when you get together with someone you haven't seen in quite a while, changes are very noticeable. The same is true for those who have gained wisdom from above. It's noticeable. In verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James answers his question by stressing the results of gaining wisdom. He says it's good conduct, a good demeanor, it's humility, meekness. You see, James insists that people's good conduct and meekness is the inevitable outgrowth of true wisdom. It's a consequence of understanding the greatness of God in your own finiteness and sin. It results in God-glorifying character and meekness. These qualities appear to be in contrast with would-be teachers that James was contending with. As he continues to write, you'll begin to imagine the problems that he's facing in verses 14 through 16. You see that wisdom from above isn't defiled and disorderly. That's our second heading. Wisdom from above isn't defiled or disorderly. Apparently, James had his handful with would-be teachers who were misleading people and trying to divide the flock. 
It seems that they were causing division and chaos with their incendiary tongues, lighting spiritual fires like arsonists. They were likely claiming to be superior in wisdom and understanding, to be more gifted and qualified to lead people, more fit as teachers. They're probably like the men that the Apostle Paul was facing in Corinth and in Rome. Do you remember Paul's quarrel with the so-called super apostles in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13? Paul was facing an attack on his demeanor and his style as an orator. He was being mocked for his meekness. The super apostles were comparing themselves to Paul and to one another. They were proud and puffed up, the scripture says. They boasted about their speaking ability and their heritage. They were manipulating the church in order to advance their status They thought of themselves as more fit to lead and teach in the church. Something similar happened to Paul in Rome as well. Uh, When he was writing the Philippians, he told them that he was facing men that were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. He said they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. The Greek word etheria has been translated into English as selfish ambition. It's the same word that James uses in both verse 14 and 16. In verse 14, James writes, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James confronts sinful conduct masquerading as wisdom, and he says it comes from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that springs forth from the heart. James talks about bitter jealousy This is a kind of envy that produces resentment. It's a motivated jealousy that wants what God has given to others. It's jealousy that's paired with ambition. It's selfish. It's an ambitious jealousy that is self-centered and self-seeking. It's a kind of selfish envy that's willing to take what it wants regardless of whether others get hurt. And to add insult to injury, it proudly refers to itself as wise. James says, do not boast. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't be boastful and hide the truth with lies. In verse 15, James points to the origin of their behavior and their claim to be wise and understanding. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. In chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we learn that God is the one who pours out good gifts from above. You remember that language. 
But the conduct of these would-be teachers points to wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's earthly because it demonstrates its inferiority. It's unspiritual because it reveals a heart that hasn't been converted by the Holy Spirit. And its fruit points to its demonic inspiration. James talks about that fruit in verse 16. He writes, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. In verse 14, we saw that the fruit of jealousy and selfish ambition was boastful pride and lies. And in verse 16, we see that it also produces disorder and what James refers to as every vile practice. Well, the Greek, the root of the Greek word rendered into English as disorder, it ranges in in its meaning from confusion and instability to seditious and insurrection. The phrase every vile practice could also be translated every base deed. This is a demonstration of the destruction the tongue can cause. This is the kind of destruction that can be caused by a tongue that is fueled by jealousy, pride, and selfish ambition. And this kind of behavior isn't exclusive to the church. It isn't a church problem. No, verse 14 points to the source of the problem. The heart of man is the problem. I've personally experienced this kind of behavior, but it was in the workplace. If if you work in a corporate work environment, um, this behavior won't be unfamiliar to you. People are are willing to step on your dead body to walk up the ladder. Um, It can be very ruthless. Um, You might be familiar with these kinds of things. But it can also be seen in in sibling rivalries or on sports teams, anywhere where people are jockeying for position. This kind of behavior is sinful. Scripture calls it vile. It reflects thinking that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's thinking contrary to the mind of Christ. James says that wisdom from above isn't rooted in jealousy or selfish ambition, and it doesn't result in disorder. No, wisdom from above is pure and peaceable. That's our third heading. Wisdom from above is pure and peaceable. James wants the church to be able to distinguish between wisdom from above and wisdom from below. So he contrasts them and he points to the nature of both. He he points to the kind of fruit each bear. In verse 13, he said that wisdom from above can be seen in a person's good conduct and in their meek demeanor. He insisted that it's inevitable, it's an, 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 an inevitable, there you go. See, now I know how to make you laugh. Outgrowth of true wisdom. <laughs> 
And as he continues, he points to the attributes of divine wisdom. In verse 17, James writes, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It's not defiled. No, it's pure and genuine and holy. And that's what you'd expect, right? We're talking about wisdom from God. It's wisdom that reflects the fear and reverence of the Lord. It's wisdom that's consistent with the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it reflects the character of God himself and walks in holiness. In verse 17, James says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. The ESV renders the next characteristic as peaceable, but a more literal translation would be peaceful or peace-loving. James is commending a peaceful spirit. True wisdom leads to peace. Proverbs 3 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Her ways are always of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Third, James says that wisdom from above is gentle. The word could also be translated reasonable or fair-minded, a person endowed with godly wisdom will listen. They'll be kind, considerate, patient, restrained. And this is related to the fourth characteristic of wisdom. James says that wisdom is open to reason. It's willing to defer to others where appropriate. Like love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it doesn't insist on its own way. When the Apostle Paul calls upon the Philippians to follow Christ's example of humility, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. James He continues his description by saying that wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. In chapter 2, James said that living faith by nature produces good fruits. And here he says that wisdom is willing to act in undeserved kindness. Christians are called to be like the Lord Jesus who showed mercy and who commanded mercy. The sixth characteristic of true wisdom is that it's impartial. By that he means it doesn't vacillate or waver. It's like the word of God, sure and unchanging. And because the word of God is sure, Christians can stand upon it without wavering. They can be decisive and walk without fear. Finally, wisdom from above is sincere. This word could also be translated as genuine or 
without hypocrisy. True wisdom results in honesty and integrity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. James says that wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If earthly wisdom brings disorder and sin, heavenly wisdom brings unity and peace. And that peace becomes fertile ground for an abundant harvest of righteousness. You see that in verse 18. In verse 18, James writes, and a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. He says that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. A peaceful environment produces the best crop. Righteousness thrives in a climate of peace. It flourishes when God's people seek peace. Wisdom from above is pure and peaceable. We ought to seek wisdom from above so that our church and our homes reflect the character of godly wisdom. We talked about how to obtain wisdom, seek to grow in the fear and the reverence of the Lord, and feast upon God's word. It's not enough to simply read it. Our lives must be shaped and molded by it. They must conform to it. We need to live it out. Pray that the Lord would empower you by the Spirit and that he would provide you with wisdom from above. With the ability to identify godly wisdom, you need to be discerning about the leaders you elect. God has given you the solemn, each of you who are communicant members, he's given the solemn responsibility to vote on who will lead this church. And he's given you the responsibility to vote on who will teach from this pulpit. Wisdom from above is needed. James says that the kind of wisdom the church should seek is from above. Wisdom from God will exhibit purity and peacefulness. As you look upon Jesus in the pages of Scripture, you see the one who is the perfect expression of the wisdom of God. In fact, Jesus is called the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. He is wisdom from above that came down and dwelt among us. And as you think about the characteristics of wisdom that James gives us in this passage, they fit his, perfect, his character perfectly, don't they? Jesus is meek and humble. He's pure, peaceable, gentle. He's open to reason. He's full of mercy 
He bears nothing but good fruit. He's unwavering and sincere. He's a peacemaker. He's the ultimate peacemaker because through his cross, he reconciles sinners to God. This is the character of the Savior, the character of wisdom. You know, when I received that email last week, at first glance, I, um, I felt my heart race because uh, I was about to get charged uh, three, $300 for something I didn't order. But as I continued to look at this email, uh, there were several signs that this email was a scam. So I was able to deal with it appropriately. James wants you to have similar discernment about wisdom. He wants you to know the difference between wisdom from above and wisdom from below. James says that wisdom from above isn't defiled and disorderly. Wisdom from above is good and meek and it's pure and peaceable. Seek wisdom from above. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have promised in chapter 1, verse 5, to give wisdom to those who ask in faith. And so we would come before you both as a congregation and as individuals and say, Lord, would you give us wisdom? Lord, we desire as your disciples to reflect the character of our Lord. Lord, would you give us wisdom and would you so shape our lives that these characteristics that we saw of wisdom from above would be characteristics that can be seen in us. Lord, we need your help. We need your power. We need your blessing. Um, We need you in every way. Lord, would you hear our prayer in Christ's name? Amen.